Good morning to you all. Well done for making it this morning. It's a, it's a busy time, and there's a just sense, in a sense, what God was doing this morning is just saying we need to come to him for refreshing. And it was very interesting, uh, just before I was come up in that last song, I remembered my very first slide that I've got, um, and is of a person standing on the edge of a river. And I, I did this slide yesterday, and I was thinking, I don't know why I'm doing this picture, I just liked it. Um, but it's very fitting that what God's been speaking to us is that we can stand on the edge, but do we go in? And um, just so you know, there's a, this is kind of part of a mini-series that I've called, well, it's, it's a working title, The Emotionally Healthy Christian, but I don't know if it's going to be the one I'm going to land on eventually, um, but I might finish the series before I land on what I do want to land on. Um, but the idea of that we come into wholeness in God um, and that he impacts every area of our life. And I, I, re I remember a time when I was just feeling really drained, tired, and maybe that's you this morning. You're like, particularly, you know, if you've been all on the go, and you're just like, oh. and God's calling us and saying, come, come, come. And sometimes when God calls us, it can feel like I haven't got the energy for it. And the truth is, if we got this feeling of, I haven't got the energy for it, then there's something wrong in our thinking. Because if you're standing on the edge, imagine, you know, whether it, if, you, if you, of my age, you go to the, uh, the swimming pool, and if you're brave enough, you get onto the top board, which was quite high, and you stand looking over the edge. But it, it, it didn't take a lot to get in the water. It maybe took a lot of bravery, because you're like, that's a long way down. But actually, to, to fall doesn't actually take a lot of energy. And sometimes when we think about going deeper into God, we're thinking, oh, I haven't got the energy for that. But God's calling us to this point where it's like, just fall. Just fall into me. And maybe you're thinking, I haven't, like John said, well, you know, we're going to stand and sing. Maybe you think, I haven't got the energy. Maybe sometimes you just got to get down on the floor because it doesn't take much energy to get down on the floor. It maybe takes more energy to get back up and you might still be there for a while. But, you know, there are things in God where God's saying, just come to me. And if we've got this thinking where we're thinking it's too hard, it's too much, I can't do it, then there's something wrong in our thinking that God wants to address. Because in the end, he's saying come and it's just a matter of falling into him and he'll catch us. He'll hold us. And so part of what I want to speak on today is this idea of um, the emotionally healthy Christian. And if you remember um, a few weeks ago, I spoke on the subject of taking offense and encouraged you to not be easily offended. And, and when we're thinking about relationships, we're also remembering God created you for, for great relationships. Not just, you know, for relationship, but he, he created you for great relationships. That's how we were created, that there would be no obstacle in our relationships. And so when we think about relationships, we're thinking on three levels. The first of those is vertically. We're thinking about our relationship with God. God created us for great relationship with him. The next thing we're thinking about is horizontally that God created us for relationship with one another. He recognized when he created Adam, it was not good for man to be alone, but created Eve to be with him. He created us for great relationships with one another. And lastly, internally, and this idea that actually, you know, you're created to be okay with yourself. That's how God wants you to be. He doesn't want you to be warring with yourself, constantly fighting and tension and all these other things that can go on within. He wants you to be whole and healthy and, and well. This whole idea of shalom, where God says shalom, it's not just peace, but it's about wholeness and wellness and completeness. And that's what God has called us to. That's what he created us for. And what we have to recognize that in relationship, there are some things that come and they help relationship. They bring us closer together. They bind relationship. They create relationship. And, and conversely, there are some things that come and they hinder relationship, 
They draw us apart and they create distance or they create division. And so we've got to think about in our lives, and it's very interesting that, that some of the things that were prayed about today is things like attitude, you know, and an attitude and things like that can be these things. Good attitude brings things together. Bad attitude draws them apart. And so we've got to be looking at these things in our life. So just to summarize that point in a sense that, yes, simply put, we are made for relationship, but, re- but when things come in, and we talked about offense, offense can come in and bring difficulty in our relationship. And things can come in and divide. And so the thing I want to talk about this morning I've called it the wonder of forgiveness. And I didn't just want to call it forgiveness. I know John put in the newsletter, Daniel's talking on forgiveness. But I wanted to I want to address it in a, in a different way maybe because it is a wonderful thing. Forgiveness is a wonderful thing. Because when we really grab forgiveness, it brings life. It's life-giving from God. And so when we think about our relationship with God, we think about our relationship with others, and we think about our relationship with ourselves. Forgiveness brings life in all of those areas. And so it's at the heart of God and his purpose for us to have relationship and forgiveness makes that possible. Because if we go back to this picture, um, when we start thinking about relationship, relationship is at the very center of who God is. So we believe that God is one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, when you say it like that, you think, how is that one? But the whole idea is that that they are united. They are one person in three. And Jesus said, when you see me, you see the Father. You don't see a different person. You don't see something a different entity. But we are one, not just in being, but in heart, in purpose. And so in that terms of relationship, there's unity. And that is at the very essence of who God is. And so if we think about the fact that then God said, I create man in my own image, we must therefore take that the essence of who we should be is also those things, that we are one, that we are unified, that we are relational. And when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, they had this really unblemished relationship. There was this harmony, this peace. Everything went smoothly and they, they, they weren't aware of, of issues until something changed. And, and when we think about what came in between, that was where they decided to think, you know what, I can do this differently. I can be in charge. I can do this my way. I, I, I think maybe I know better than God knows. And they chose to eat of the fruit that was forbidden in the garden And that brought a division. Now, when we think about division, it happened on so many levels. We think about the level between us and God, and that sin brought division. And and there was a disconnection suddenly between them and God. Because God said, if you eat the fruit, you will die. But they didn't die physically in that moment, but they died spiritually. There's a spiritual disconnection between them and God. And that's what sin does. It disconnects us from God. But it also disconnected them from one another, from Adam and Eve. Suddenly, you had this lovely relationship of, of but then they were suddenly started pointing the finger at one another and saying, it wasn't me, it was her. It wasn't me. They were, they were covering their own backs. They were fighting for themselves. And so this disconnect came in relationship. But even then, internally as well, it said that they felt ashamed. And ashamed is something that you feel inside and they, they they were aware of their nakedness and they hid they were aware of their wrongness and so they didn't want to face God they didn't want to face each other and so in that moment where sin came in it broke relationship and it on so many different levels I don't know if you've ever seen this kind of picture it's quite a common picture that is used to describe this broken relationship that this is my drawing, that you've got a chasm and on one side it's God and on one side it's us. And the chasm represents sin and I didn't quite know how to draw this, but the, the whole idea that it's 
it's a chasm that you can't get over. It's not just saying, you know, we'll just put a plank down and we'll get over it or we'll fill it in. It, it's, it's kind of Grand Canyon style. It's deep and it's wide and you can't just easily get over this. And so there was this division, whereas before it was united, now there was division and that had been brought about by sin. And remember, this is contrary to the will of God. This is not what God wanted. He didn't want any division or separation between you and him. It is God's desire that we are united. But there was this obstacle. And I don't know about you, whether you've ever tried to have a relationship with somebody when there's division, and this was the purpose of my prop this morning, if it works. If you ever tried to have a relationship with someone when there's division, you know, it's really hard to have relationship. Now, you know I'm here, but you don't know what I'm doing. I could be doing all kinds of things behind here. Um, but you don't quite know. And so, you kind of, whenever even just a physical obstacle appears between people, it starts to create division and uncertainty and separation and, and maybe anxiety. When you've got an obstacle between someone, relationship becomes very difficult. And this was the thing between us and God. There was this chasm, this division, and it made relationship just impossible. And maybe there's relationships you've got that you're trying to, to kind of, I'm trying to persist with this relationship. I'm trying to keep going, but there's something major in there. There's a major obstacle in between you. And you're thinking, I don't know why this isn't working. But if there's an obstacle, it just, it just can't. You might eke something out and maybe you can think about this kind of chasm idea and they're shouting things across to each other and maybe there's someone in your life and you feel like someone, you're just kind of shouting things across but there's no real relationship. And so obviously when we think about the story of God, we think about the cross of Christ and, and I was conscious that we're not talking, this isn't a Christmas sermon but the whole point was at Christmas, well, not at Christmas. It's, we're celebrating Christmas because Jesus came, not the other way around. Um, but Jesus came to, to fill that chasm because no one else could. And so this is the heart of the gospel message that Jesus came and said, I will die, I will fill that chasm, I will bridge the gap, I will pay the price so that we can be back in relationship again because it was sin that separated us. Sin was the obstacle. And Jesus said, I will deal with the issue that is causing division between us. But as we know in our hearts, you know, God can die for everyone. And he has. He says he has died for the whole world. But relationship is only reconciled completely when both parties choose to be reconciled. In a sense, what we know today is that God has done his bit. He has made a way, and, and I loved in our worship this morning what we were talking about, we were saying things like open heaven. He has made a way, he has torn down the curtain, he has made a path, and it's there for us, but there needs to be some response from us. And that's when we think about repentance, and again, it's something I preached on a couple of months ago. Repentance is, there has to be repentance in order to re restore those relationships. And so where we've got this distance from God, God's saying, I will come and I will forgive you of all your sin. But there has to be repentance in order to make that happen. Because God can say, I've forgiven you, but unless repentance happens, there's not reconciliation. And so in some respects, you know, I, I felt, you know, I could leave it there. That's a great gospel message. And maybe that's all you need to take away from today, you know, that God has come to answer that, that separation issue between you and him, that God wants to know you this morning. God wants you to know him, and he's called you, and he said, come to me. And he's made a way, and we can know that, which is wonderful. But the reason I want to take this a bit further for us this morning 
there was this quote, and this is, comes from the Freedom in Christ course, and it says, nothing gives Satan greater opportunity to stop a church growing than bitterness and division. And it's quite a bold statement to say nothing gives Satan greater opportunity. I, I think this statement is born out of experience of how people will stop going on. Because uh, I don't know if you've ever met somebody who is, is filled with unforgiveness or who is filled with bitterness. And if you've met somebody like that, you don't look at them and go, wow, they are really growing in God. You know, you, it's just not, the two things are not connected. And again, it's recognizing that our relationship with one another is tied to our relationship with God. Our relationship with one another is tied to our relationship with God. It says in 1 John that you can't say, I love God, but hate your brother. The two things are incompatible. You can't say, I love God and I hate my brother. It's incompatible. If we want to have right relationships with God, we have to have right relationships with one another. And therefore, one of the key things that will stop us growing as Christians is the obstacle of forgiveness or unforgiveness and how we deal with those obstacles. And if you're thinking, and I think this came through again in, in prayers and, and prophetic words this morning, where we're thinking about going on, and maybe you're thinking, why am I not going on? Sometimes we're trying to go on, but still carrying something that we shouldn't be carrying. And we're unable to go deeper into God because there's still something that we're carrying and not dealing with. And this is why when I think about my title about the emotionally healthy Christian, the whole concept is about, you know, we can, we can have all our certain ducks in a row, but there can be this major thing that we're leaving undealt with. And it's the major thing that's hindering us from wholeness in God. And so if you want to have a maturing relationship with God, then you need to think about these relationships with others. And at the heart of this, I love this verse, it's in Matthew chapter 5, where it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. It's in the Beatitudes section. And maybe it, it dawned on me, you know, there's something intrinsic about our identity as Christians being connected with the identity of who God is. And so God is the ultimate peacemaker. God is the ultimate one who came down to earth to create peace. You know, we sing kind of Prince of Peace. Because he said, I, I cannot just abide by this, this warring and raging between us. And so he was the ultimate Prince of Peace. And so therefore, if we are to be called children of God we must have the same identity that he has. If you are a son or a daughter of God, then you must bear the resemblance of your father. So if he is the ultimate peacemaker, then you must be a peacemaker as well. And when we're thinking about peacemaking, now maybe, and this is probably where I thought before, you know, you know you're going to go into war situations and work at the UN or something like that and try and bring peace between nations and that's brilliant. We need people to do that. But there's also the peace right here, right now. There's the peace within your family. There's the peace in your workplace. There's the peace wherever you might go. And there's the peace within yourself. That we should be those who are seeking to make peace wherever we go. That is the hallmark of a believer. That is the hallmark of a child of God. There was this verse, and again, this is Hebrews chapter 12. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. And I want to kind of stay with this verse a minute and break it down a little bit so we can just learn a bit more from what God's saying. And so the first thing it says, it says strive for peace. It doesn't say desire peace. It doesn't say hope 
for peace or long for peace. It says strive. So this means that it, this is something that we're working for. This is, you know, if you strive for something, you've got to go for it. You don't just sit back and hope it happens. But you work for it. You go long after it. You, you pursue it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, peace sometimes feels like hard work. You know? Peace doesn't always come easily. It's hard work. Because you might be a bit like me. I, I hate confrontation. Like, I hate going to someone and saying something. And it, I, I don't know. It's an issue I've got to grow in myself. But I hate challenging people. Because when you do, you're vulnerable before someone. Because you can go to someone and say, you know what, that, that really upset me. And they might say, I don't care. And you're like, okay then. <laughs> like, it's lovely when you go and, and say to someone, you know, that, that, that offended me. And they're like, oh, I'm really sorry. And I love you. And, and that's wonderful. But you don't always get that response. And so when we go to someone, we're, we're being vulnerable for them. And that's, you know, that's not my idea of a good time. You know, I like to be, I like peace, just, just a different type of peace. I just bury my head in the sand and I, I sweep it under the rug and go, no, it's all right, I'll just live with it. And maybe you're a bit like that and you're just, your way of creating peace is by, by denying the reality that is there in front of you. And so our way of getting peace is just by ignoring things and sweeping them under the rug and we know this brings peace. And, it does, and that, there's an element of truth. We don't have to confront every single issue. You know, if you've got kids, you realize you've got to choose your battle. Um, you don't you come down hard on everything, otherwise you're going to be always battling all your life. But we don't have the luxury to ignore peace. We don't have the, the luxury to allow relationships to be broken and ignore that. Because imagine if God had had that attitude where he said, you know what, they'll work it out, they'll find a way, they'll be all right. Because the truth is, we couldn't find a way, we wouldn't have been all right. We needed him to strive for peace for us. And he did that, and he showed us the model for that. And that was a costly action. It doesn't come easily, we need to work at it. The next thing it says, it says, with everyone... You know what, you can't pick and choose who you strive for peace with because some people you're like, I really like them. I want to be in relationship with them. I want things to be good with them. And, and, and we can strive for peace with those people, but there are other people you're like, they annoy me no end. I really don't like them. I really don't want to be in relationship with them. Why on earth am I going to strive for peace with that person? But he's saying strive for peace with everyone with everyone. Because again, we can look at people and say, this person doesn't deserve forgiveness. But God didn't discriminate in that way, did he? He didn't look on each of us and goes, I'll die for you and you and, no, not you, uh, you. Uh, you know, he didn't do that. That's not his heart. He looked at the, the evil people the evilest of sinners, the worst of sinners, and said, I will also die for you. And again, part of our concept is we look at people and go, they deserve it, they deserve it, they deserved it. And maybe in your life, before God, you're saying, I deserve it, I deserve it. That person definitely doesn't deserve it. But the truth is, none of us deserved it. But God died for us anyway. He said, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to deserve it. He said, I will die for you and I will pay the cost for you. And he removed that obstacle for everyone. It says, and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Because our relationships are intertwined with God, we have to think how you relate to how you're relating with others will impact how you relate with God. And if God is about relationship, God is about reconciliation, God is about forgiveness 
and we are living separate from that, then we're going to be, there's going to be a disconnect between us and God. God said, be holy as I am holy. And that's not just saying be prim and proper, be, you know, get all your, everything in order. But he's saying, no, you, you need to be like me. I am set apart, I am different, I am sanctified, and you need to have those same attitudes that I have. And so when we fail to be like him in any area of our life, it then becomes an obstacle between us and him. So if he's saying an area of your life is how I forgave you, then if we're unwilling to do that, that then becomes an obstacle between us and him. So if we move out of that, if we move out of pursuing peace, we're not going to begin to see God because it's realizing your identity, your calling is about reconciliation. Your identity and calling is about peace. And therefore, if you move out of your identity, you're no longer going to be connected to the one who, who defines that for you and who you're being like. And so your obstacle between you and another will become your obstacle between you and God. It says, we fail to obtain the grace of God. And, and again, if, we, if we're in this position where we're not extending grace to others, you know, what they don't deserve... We're giving people what they don't deserve. If we, if we stop to do that, we're going to soon realize that that flow of grace from God to us will dry up. And this is why I was saying earlier that maybe you're in a situation where you're like, oh, my life with God's just not going anywhere. My life with God is dry and barren and I'm just not feeling it. And why aren't things working? And one of the key things is if we're not treating others the way God has treated us, then we can't expect the same flow of God to us that we are unwilling to give to others. It, it's, it's all tied together. You can't separate it. Jesus said very clearly, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. It's kind of like, let's, let's take a moment and realize how black and white that is. We can read into it, we can look at it and expound it a bit more, but it's black and white. I, I always remember when I, I shared this in youth once and someone went, oh, snap. You know, that's, that's harsh. Yeah, it's black and white. And so imagine if you are trying to live your relationship with God and you're living it in a place where there's a barrier between you. And maybe that barrier is there because you're unwilling to forgive others. Jesus told the story of a man who owed a great debt to his master, but he couldn't pay the debt. And so he went to the master and the master was like, your debt is due and if you cannot pay, I'm taking you and I'm going to chuck you into prison. And he pleaded and said, God, I can't pay it, I can't pay it. And he, he must have begged really well because the master had compassion upon him and said, I'll forgive you that debt, which was a great sum of money. And so he went away rejoicing because he'd been released of that debt. But then he came across a fellow servant of his who owed him money, a small amount in comparison, and said, where's the money you owe me? And the man said, I, I can't afford it. And he took the man and he took his family and threw them into prison. When the master heard that this had happened, he was like, oh no, that's not all right. We can't, you, I can't forgive you this great debt if you then are unwilling to forgive this other man his debt. And he renewed that debt and made him pay it. You know, we can't disconnect what God has done from us for what we need to do for others. And he says that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. If you have got a disconnect with God in any area of your life, it will create opportunity for the enemy to come in and sow bad things. 
And one of the key things that comes through forgiveness is bitterness. And again, you can, you can see it in people's faces, in their bodies, not just in their heart. You go, some people have a bad, a bitter attitude, but some people carry it in their body as well. You know, everything's said with a spitting attitude. And forgiveness is one of the, unforgiveness is the key ground for bitterness to come into our lives. And I was thinking earlier, you know, I've got this uh, weed killer. It's in a bottle and I go around and spray it, spray the weeds. And it says that it will kill the root. It seems to always grow back. But, you know, but this is what God's saying. I want to come and if there's a root of bitterness in your life, the spray the weed oil or whatever it's called, is the thing that's going to come and kill that at the root and bring, bring life in you. He doesn't want those things to persist. Sorry. It says that that can cause trouble, and by it, many become defiled. And afterwards, it talks about Esau and about how he enters into sexual immorality. And, and actually, if you look at Esau, his life was a mess. And that's because things were happening that, that he left undealt with. And in the end, he sold his birthright so cheaply for a bowl of soup because he was just in a wrong place. He had bad thinking, he had bad ways. And what we'll find is that ultimately, you know, we, we do these things and as this disconnect with God grows, it's going to lead to immorality. It's going to lead to defilement in our lives. Because you can't keep making godly choices if your heart has been hardened to him and to others. It's just impossible. Before I move on, I want to do what I've called a bit of myth-busting. Because one of the things when we talk about forgiveness is there are, there are many things that people think that aren't actually true. And so I wanted to bust some of these myths. Um, and so the first of these, it doesn't matter. So if you forgive someone, you're saying, it doesn't matter. And maybe you say that because maybe that makes it easier for you to deal with this issue that again, this is the kind of sweeping under the rug thing. Maybe you do it yourself, or you maybe feel that people are saying that about it. Or if I forgive somebody, it means it doesn't matter. Because if you've been wronged in a serious way, it does matter. It is important. It is serious. But forgiveness is not saying that isn't true. Because what we can feel sometimes is that by forgiving someone, it devalues what happened. We can feel that it devalues what happens. And so what we do is we hold on to unforgiveness as a way of keeping that thing as important. And so maybe you can think about something that happens where, you know, it could be so many different things. Maybe I'll just leave it for you to think about something in your own life where, where somebody has wronged you. And that thing is so important to you. It is important to you. Maybe it's about your marriage. Maybe it's about your children or something like that or something in your family. And someone's done something and they've broken that trust. And you're like, my marriage is important. And if I forgive you, are you saying my marriage isn't important? No, not at all. Forgiveness doesn't devalue that. But what you do is when you forgive, you're saying that you're not allowing that event, that person to define you, to have power over you, to be the focus of your life. Because what happens is that people can get trapped in that moment, trapped in that thing, and their life then becomes all about that because they're never able to release that and move on. And we fear moving on. 
uh, to be honest with you, I'm amazed when I hear about people who forgive people where someone maybe, maybe accidentally or even deliberately they've killed someone, a member, maybe a member of their family, and they come out and they say, I forgive you. I heard a story the other day of somebody who, I don't know if it was an accident or not, but they killed their son, and this person was sent to prison for it. And then when they were released, this family turns up at the prison gates and says, we, you are going to be our son now. We lost our son. You will be our son. We will help you find a home. We will help you get a job. And you're like, wow, how do you do that? I don't know if I could. I hope I could. I hope I could be that loving, that forgiving. I don't know if I could do that bit. But in that scenario, you're not saying that that life didn't matter. What you've done didn't matter. But we were saying, I'm not going to live my life stuck in that moment and allow that to define me. Forgiveness is forgetting. The myth that forgiveness is forgetting. Because sometimes people will say, do you forgive me? And you say, yes. And they say, well, let's never talk about this again then, shall we? They want to forget about it. And I can understand why people want to forget about things because if you've done something wrong, you don't want someone constantly bringing it up. You don't want to be reminded of your errors constantly. That's just not nice. We don't want to do that. And so we want people to forget. But the truth is, you can't forget unless you've got dodgy memory. But even then, you realize you forget the things you want to remember and you remember the things you want to forget. But the truth is, we can't forget. It's just not that easy. But when we're saying we forgive, we're saying we're no longer allowing this thing to lord over our lives, this person to lord over it. But also we're saying we're not going to use this thing unfairly against this person. Because again, if you think about a husband and wife situation where someone's done something and you're like, okay, that was wrong, we dealt with that and I forgive you. And then every time something happens, you're like, well, remember when you did that? And you bring it up, and what you're doing is you're using that thing as collateral. You're using that thing as a weapon. And again, that's not right that we do that. Forgiveness means I'm releasing this thing. But what it doesn't mean is I forget this thing. Because again, you might be in that relationship, and you say, well, you did that in the past. And well, I thought we moved on from that. I thought we'd forgotten that. It doesn't mean forgetting, but what it means, it's wisdom to consider how I'm going to trust that person again. Because just because I've forgiven you, it doesn't automatically mean I'm going to trust you again. Every situation is different, but for example, imagine I lent you my car, and through careless driving, you, you damaged it. Now I can say, you know what? I forgive you. You were, you were silly, you were foolish, I forgive you. Now, if you said, does that mean I can borrow your car again? I'd be like, well, probably not. <laughs> because I'm not stupid. It doesn't mean that I have to return to the same behavior and the same way that I was in before because wisdom would say, that's not necessarily the case. Now, I might think, you know what? You need to be given a second chance and I, I need to show that you are worth something and I trust you by giving you the keys again. I might be proved wrong again. But that's, that's what I'm saying. Every situation is a bit different, but sometimes wisdom will say, no, I'm not going to do the same thing again. I'm not going to allow that same thing to happen again. One of the myths is that they're off the hook. So forgiveness lets people off the hook. But when we do something, there's different types of ramifications. There, there's natural justice... And so uh, there's just the consequences of the things we do. There's judicial implications. So obviously if you break a law or something like that, there's a judicial implication. But there's also spiritual implications to our actions as well. And so just because there's forgiveness, it doesn't stop those implications from taking, those consequences taking effect. And so just because someone's forgiven, it doesn't mean that they then don't have to face the consequences of their actions. And it might mean handing over the person to the right authority. And I feel when, when we talk about forgiveness, this is actually what we're doing. 
We're saying, we're not seeking revenge, we're not seeking vengeance ourselves, but we're saying, I'm going to hand you over to the right authority. Now, in some law cases, you might say, I'm going to let this slide. I don't want to prosecute, I don't want to do this. But sometimes it's the best thing for that person to face the right uh, consequence. So imagine, I know, again, there's been issues of abuse where people have said, well, we've forgiven you, you know, we'll let that go. But then the person's gone on to continue abusing. And actually, the best course of action would have been that that person is penalised for their crime and hopefully given the help to be redeemed in that sense. But there's also the consequence that when we're forgiving, we're saying, I hand you over to God. Because ultimately, he is the judge of all things. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And so, not that we're like, yes, God's going to get them. But what we're doing when we forgive, we're saying, I'm going to give you into the hands of God and he will deal with this in the most just and righteous way. I don't know what that is you're saying, I entrust this person to God. And they will stand before God, just as we will, and give account for those things. It's not about letting them off the hook, but ultimately it is about letting yourself off the hook. Too often people are like, I don't want to let them off the hook, and they, they, they're sitting there miserably while the person that they're, that they're not laying off the hook is out enjoying themselves and having a whale of a time, enjoying life, you know, and you're the one sitting at home being miserable and being impacted. And you realise you're the one who's on the hook. You're the one who's imprisoned by this. And so forgiveness allows you to move on and to be free. And the last one on the myths is that you must reconcile. Again, there's been so many bad instances of this where people have been sent back into situations they should never be sent back into. Things like domestic violence where wives have been sent back to their husbands and said, you need to go back and reconcile with this man who's not, not repentant, who's not changed, but there's an expectation that they'll go back and just be subjected to more abuse. And that's not what forgiveness is about. You can forgive somebody, but it doesn't ne necessarily mean that there's reconciliation. We can think about reconciliation. You could say where it is possible. Because it takes two to reconcile. It takes two people to reconcile. You could say where it's possible. You could say where it is wise. Because sometimes it is not wise to reconcile. Because I remember I had... A relationship with someone and it, it didn't it got to the point where I was like this person is not good for me they'd done some stuff and I'd forgiven them and but what I was thinking this person is not good for me I don't need to be friends with this person now it came to the point where I'm now if I saw this person I've got nothing against them I'm okay with them I I can talk to them I can be civil I can be friendly as much as I can in any other moment. But I'm not going to be your bestie. I'm not going to be your friend. You're not good for me. And maybe that's some stuff with me. Maybe that's some stuff with them. But there are some people just not going to be good for you. And you, it doesn't mean you have to be their best friend again. As I said, it takes two to reconcile. Because if there is no repentance, then reconciliation is not possible. And again, I think about my kids. I'm like, are you sorry? And they say, yeah. I'm like, no, you're not. You know, they, 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 they learn the good phrase. Yeah, I'm really sorry. I haven't even worked, I haven't got to that good bit yet where they can fake it well. Um, I just know clearly they're not sorry. And it makes relationship really hard because you've done something wrong, but you're not taking responsibility for it. And how can I be, how can relationship continue if you're not taking responsibility for the thing that you've done wrong? And so if there's no repentance, reconciliation isn't going to happen. So we must know that 
Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. As peacemakers, we should seek to be reconciled where possible. But it's not always possible. So we're going to look at just coming to our close on how to forgive. I've just got a list of things. The first is to start with revelation. Because if you don't realize how much you've been forgiven by God, then why would you ever want to forgive anyone else? But when you realize how much God has forgiven you, the whole process of forgiveness becomes so much easier. Because if you think about that man who had been forgiven so much debt, it made it so much easier to forgive. It should have. It didn't in that case, which is why the master was so angry. But if you have that revelation of, wow, I've done so much wrong before God, yet he forgave me. What you then see is, and again, it's not belittling what other people do, but you're saying, yeah, they made a mistake as well because they are messed up just like me. They're a sinner just like me, and they need forgiveness as well. So start with revelation. Recognize the need to forgive. You have to recognize this is an important issue. Ask God to reveal things to your heart. Because I remember, I, like, I've done this, I've, in a sense this is a sermon I've been preparing for probably about four years. Because it's just saying that I, a subject I've gone over again and again through the Freedom in Christ course, you go through it again and again. And, and I thought, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Uh, I'm, I'm up to scratch, I'm good at it. I, I don't find it hard to forgive. Um, and then we were in a session and it said, okay, I'm going to take this moment, just ask God to reveal anything in your heart. Have you got anything against anyone? And, and I was like, I was sitting there thinking, everyone's going to do this. And then suddenly I was like, oh, John really annoyed me the other day. <laughs> and, and he, just when we had a meeting, he said something and I was like, and, and I recognised in my heart, if I was going to stand before John, I'd have been like, oh, you're so annoying. You know, because these things happen in relationship. People annoy us. But if we leave those things undealt with, they can then escalate into greater things. Now, in that moment, I've just publicly done it, but I didn't have to go go to John and say, John, you annoyed me the other day, and it's really bad, and we need to deal with this. I just had to say, God, John annoyed me. He's human. Maybe maybe I was wrong, and I, I let it go. I release it. I'm not going to allow that to to take a root in my life. But we've got to ask God. Um, I've heard of times where people said, go and take a list and write down the names of everyone you need to forgive. Now, for some people, that might take longer than others. But it's an important thing we have to do because, again, we can't say, well, I'll forgive that person, but not that person. But having an open heart to God to say, if there's anyone, I'll do it. Because that's, is that the next part? No, being emotionally honest with God. Because again, we're not denying the reality of this. You, you can say, God, that person annoyed me. That person really hurt me. Be honest with God. We're not denying this as a reality. But when we start being honest with God, we're allowing him to come into those situations and bring healing for them. Recognize the obstacles. You might be unwilling to let go. Because I was saying sometimes, and this is for me the mis- one of the mysteries about forgiveness, we're not willing to let go. We have this thing that is causing us pain, is causing a, like a poison in our life, but we just want to hold on to it. And if, when we hear this message of forgiveness, we're like, no, I can't do it. I'm not willing to do it. I don't want to let go of this. And that's partly because I wonder if, again, it's that thing about devaluing it that if we let go, it devalues that thing, that person. We're worried that we'll forget that thing, that person. Maybe you've had someone die or killed, and you're like, if I forget, if I let go, that person will be gone. And we don't want to lose that. We don't want to lose that grief. We don't want to lose that anger because it's all we've got that's connected to that person. But the trouble is, what all that's doing is creating bitterness and 
poison within our soul. So maybe we don't want to let go and we can't move on. Maybe we're unwilling to trust God. As I said, what you're saying is, God, I'm going to put this person in your hands. And you're thinking, well, maybe God will let them off. Because God's really forgiving, you know. What's he going to do? Is he, I'll, I'll put him into God's hand if God's going to strike him down. We'll do it that way. But maybe you're unwilling to trust God if, he's, if you're doubting whether he is just, whether he will deal with it properly. And that can be an obstacle. Maybe you're unable to see that person the way that God sees them. Uh, I sense sometimes we need to pray that God will help us to see the person. Because I see this often that people, particularly I see it sometimes with, with grown-up children who don't forgive parents because they don't see their parents as flawed. They don't see their parents as needing the same grace that they need. And so sometimes, you know, you could be, have a real issue with something your parents have done, and maybe very rightly so, because they messed up. They were wrong, they did something bad. But you know what, they're broken people as well. And actually, that doesn't excuse it, but it, it humanizes them and says, God, they need you as well, just like I need you. Next, we have to make the choice because forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. Because if you're waiting to feel lovely, fluffy feelings about somebody who has harmed you, you might be waiting a long time. It's a choice. You're saying, I will do this. You know, Jesus, when he came to the cross, wasn't like, oh man, this is going to be great. He said, God, could, could you take this away from me? I don't want to do this. But no, I choose to do it. I will do it. I will strive for this. I will make it my goal, even though it's going to be hard, even though it's going to be costly. It's a decision, not an emotion. Next thing was recognize who this is about. And I say that because ultimately, when you're dealing with issues of forgiveness, it's about you and God, not about you and somebody else. Because if unforgiveness breaks your union with God and breaks that relationship with God, you're never going to be able to deal with that person. You're never going to be able to deal with life. And so the issue here is you and God. And so don't think about necessarily even that person. It's like, God, I want to be right with you. And if this makes me right with you, then I'm going to do it. Pursue that as your goal. And lastly, I put kind of asterisks, two asterisks by this to make it stand out. Seek out the person. Because again, I said, it's not always possible. It's not always wise. But it does say in Scripture that when you come to the altar to bring your gift before the Lord, if anyone has anything against you, not if you have anything against anyone. Now, because I think there's an assumption that if you've got something against someone, you should deal with that. But sometimes you have to pursue others as well. Because what we're saying is we value relationship highly. In this church, we value relationship, good, great relationships highly because we realize that this church will go nowhere if we have broken relationships, if we have resentments, if we have bitterness amongst us particularly. We are moving forward together and we will not be able to move anywhere if we have those things going on amongst us. Now, there's going to be things that are going to come up. People will annoy you. They will do. Will you vow to do something about it? Will you vow to clarify the situation? Because so much of these things is miscommunication. It's like, yeah, you said this. And you say, did I? I don't remember saying that. Why would I say that? It's miscommunication. Maybe you never did say it. And someone just heard something. People hear things that you don't say sometimes. But sometimes we say things that we don't mean. We get the wrong word. We just, you know, oh, I didn't mean it like that. We say it in the wrong tone. Maybe sometimes we're just having a bad day. We're tired. We're just, something bad has just happened. And all these things can influence it. You say, yeah, that was so stupid of me to say that. 
I'm really sorry. I was having a really bad day that day. And so we can seek out the person. I want to encourage you to value relationship highly, particularly within this body of believers. And so sometimes you will have to seek out the person, pray about it, seek God's wisdom on it, because I know a time when I, I had a situation like this and it was only at the right time that I could go to the person. And it took a month before I could. And I was thinking, am I just being stubborn? Am I being awkward? Am I being unwilling? But it was in God's timing that that happened. And so sit, pray about it and ask God. So, is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you need to forgive? This is the ultimate question. Is there anyone you can think of that, you know, if they walked in this room right now, you'd think maybe you'd get angry, maybe you'd be fearful, because what unforgiveness does, it gives power to somebody else. They're determining your emotions, your responses, whereas, you know, a healthy way of living is that you you handle that in God, you know, through your relationship with God, that if I walk in the room and you've got an issue, if I've done something wrong and I walk in the room, you're not like, <gasps> Daniel changes the way I live my life. That shouldn't be the case. Now, you might not want to be around me if I'm a mean person, but that's a different thing. Is there anyone you need to forgive? Is there anyone you think, yeah, that person just really annoys me? Or they, that person said this to me and it just bugs me or, you know. Because sometimes the trouble, when we think about these big things, we think about they cheated on me, they, they hurt me, they abused me. Yeah, those things definitely also need to be dealt with, but it's these small things as well. That person sat in my seat this morning. All right, forgive them, let it go. We're going to say this prayer that might help you if you... If you might need just a way to go, it says, God, I forgive, insert name here, for, insert what they did, it made me feel. Because you're being honest with God about the feeling of it. You're not just saying, God, they did this, I forgive them, let it go. But you're acknowledging, God, this happened. I release them into your hands. I give them to you, Lord. And at that point, we can then ask God to come and bring healing. Can I invite the worship team up? I'm going to leave this up. Um, maybe just why we worship, that as you, if you need to, you can respond just with that prayer yourself. That God might come and just really release you. Because this is the thing. It says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. God wants you to be free. That's his heart for you. And so let's just continue to seek freedom. Do you not have a task? Let's just be still then for a moment. If you need to look at the screen to think about that prayer, then do so. And just, again, if you're not sure, just ask God, is there anyone? Because what we want to do is we want to have a clean slate, clean heart, clear heart before him. We come and minister to our hearts now, Lord God. We reveal these things, Lord, that we might be free. Lord, may we not fear this. But Lord, may we just release ourselves to you, our lives to you, our, our wounds to you. These people, Lord, maybe we've been carrying around for so long. These things that are stopping us getting in the stream. 
they're tying us back, Lord. May we cut those things now in your name, Lord Jesus, and release them to you.